Well, hi, my name's Greg. I'm one of the pastors around here and we're whatever Chase Oaks campus you're at right now or wherever you're joining us online. I'm so glad that we get to be together here in week two of our series, Dangerous Prayers. You know, there's a few different reasons why we're doing this series. One is that the Bible makes clear that these prayers are kind of a pathway that help us to experience the rich and full and abundant life that God has for us. But also there's an acknowledgement that all too often our prayers are not that dangerous. They're really pretty safe, aren't they? And we say things like, dear, dear Lord, please bless my neighbor after his fall and just, and, and just help him out. Or, or dear Lord, please, please help my cousin right now find a job. Or please, please keep us safe as we travel. And those are, those are great prayers. And God, and the Bible tells us to bring our requests before God. And so there's nothing wrong with those prayers at all. But they are kind of safe. The prayers we're looking at in this series are not like those prayers because they don't just ask something of God. They ask something of us. Last week, we looked at a prayer that was modeled for us in the book of Acts that says, Lord, make us brave. And that is a dangerous prayer because it assumes that God will continue to put us in situations that require bravery. And that always that's always uncomfortable and scary. If it wasn't. If if it wasn't scary, then we wouldn't need bravery, right? There's kind of an assumption that God's not going to take the scary away, which is kind of hard to think about. Well, this prayer that we're going to look at today doesn't seem like a dangerous prayer when we first look at it, but it but it is. It's scary. And the reason it's scary is because it is a request for the unvarnished truth. And not truth about others or truth about circumstances or even truth about God. It is, it is a request for the truth about ourselves. And that can, that can be uncomfortable to hear. But we can say, no, 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 I want to know. Of course, I want to know the truth about me. But honestly, <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think we would all say that there are sometimes there's just things about us that we would just rather not know. Like, like for me, I... Um, I'm, if you don't know me well, I'm kind of a foodie, and so that for, for me that means that I cook a fair amount, and um, and there's a lot of foodies in our church, and so I have I have a question for you all for for any of us or any of y'all who spend a decent amount of time in the kitchen. Let's say you've spent two or three hours preparing a meal, and then when you present it, you ask, um, "What do you think?" What do you really want to know in that moment? (laughs) One, you want to know that it's great. And two, that everyone is appreciative for the time and effort you put into making this meal, which wasn't part of the question, but it is the right answer. And that's it. Right. That's that's all we need to know in that moment, Which, which means for everyone else, I have a tip for you. If there is something that we could have done better. You know, we could have left it in the oven a little longer, could have taken it out a little sooner. Anything that we could have done better. Y'all can just keep that information to yourself. (laughs) We don't need to know. Right. We don't need to know right there in the moment. I mean, maybe later, but this isn't chopped. Right. But there there are times, though, when we do need to know and we need to know the truth, even if it's uncomfortable, um, we need to know it and we need to know it now. Like I have, I have several friends really recently that have gone through some pretty scary medical things. 
I have one friend where the, the doctors found a tumor in her arm and it was a really going to require a really tricky surgery to to take that out. I have two friends um, who just recently were diagnosed with breast cancer. I have another friend, a young, relatively young man that uh, was feeling some his chest was feeling funny. He went to see the doctor and they discovered that one of his arteries was over 90 percent blocked. And in that moment, we need a doctor that can tell it to us straight. Right. Doctor, t- tell me this. Tell me the truth. What is going on in my body? What does this mean for treatment and for surgery? Just tell it to me plain so that I can understand. Tell me the truth. Well, we're going to see uh, David asking God a question similar to that, and it is a very dangerous prayer. But be, and we're going to look at it here in just a second. But before we do, I want to talk about the context in which this prayer was prayed. This, this prayer uh, comes at the end of Psalm 139, and David spends nearly the entire psalm leading up to this prayer, kind of mustering up his courage to ask this dangerous question or to give these these uh, dangerous requests. So, um, Psalm 139 was written at a time when David, king of Israel, had lots of enemies. Uh, he had foreign enemies that were opposing him on the battlefield. He had other enemies closer to home that were telling lies about him and undercutting his authority. And David felt attacked and maligned. But instead of rushing to his own defense... He instead writes this psalm, which is mostly about what he knows to be true about God. And when he gets to the end of that psalm, after he's recounted all these things that he knows to be true about God, he has the courage to pray a very dangerous prayer. So I want to briefly look at the whole of Psalm 139, and then we're going to look at this prayer that happens at the end. The first thing that David does is he acknowledges that God is in, that that God has complete knowledge of him. Look at what he says in Psalm 139, 1 through 4. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. God, you know me inside out. Everything that I do, everywhere that I go, everything that I think, there is nothing about my life that is hidden from you. In fact, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely which speaks to more than just God's foreknowledge of the future. There are several aspects about God that are just kind of mind-bending for us to, for us to think about, and this is one of them, that, that God doesn't merely peer into the future. He doesn't. He knows it completely. Imagine a, a, a long river that is winding and has all kinds of twists and turns in it. And there are boats on this river that, that can't see each other because of all of the bends and the, and the turns. But if you could get up on a mountaintop and see all the, the, entire, the entire river from beginning to end, upstream and downstream, that is kind of like God's perception of time. He doesn't look into the future. He is present in the past and the future, simultaneously. 
time is a created thing, uh, which means um, and he is outside of time, which means he is at the beginning of time and at the end of time at the same time, which is really hard for us to wrap our head around. But what that means for us is that only God knows you completely. We see ourselves a tiny slice of life at a time. Whatever stage of life we're in, we're an adolescent, we're an adult, we're a, we're a parent, we're in our old age or, or whatever. We see ourselves a tiny slice at a time and we have imperfect memories that kind of mixes up how we, how we remember things of our youth, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. But God sees us in our childhood and our adolescence and our, and our adulthood and our old age all at the same time. God has infinitely more knowledge of us than we have of ourselves. He knows us completely. But then David continues, God doesn't just have infinite knowledge of him he is also inescapably present with him look at what david says in verse 7 where can i go from your spirit where can i flee from your presence if i go up to the heavens you are there if i make my bed in the depths you are there if i rise on the wings of the dawn if i settle on the far side of the sea even there your hand will guide me your right hand will hold me fast David says, I, I couldn't get away from your presence even if I wanted to. If I look up to the stars in the heavens, if I were able to go up there, you would be up there too. If I burrowed deep underground, you would be, you would be there. If I rose with the wings of the dawn, which would be, which is to the east, or if I settle on the far side of the sea, which from where David was writing this would be to the west, If I went all the way east or if I went all the way west, you would still be there. But then David clarifies that God's presence is not just about geography. It's also about circumstance, that God is not just present with us everywhere. He's present with us through everything. Look at what he says in verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me. And the light become become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. When we are in the dark, when we go through circumstances where we feel abandoned or forgotten or unseen, or even when we make decisions where we want to hide from God, God sees through the dark. He is present with us in the dark. But then David continues. Not only does God have infinite knowledge of him, not only is God present in everywhere, at every time, through every circumstance, but God has been faithful and has provided intimate care for David every second of his life. Look at what he says in verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. From the beginning of our life, To the end of our life. When we are the most vulnerable, God is knitting us together at the very beginning. God is walking with us and ordaining our days at the very end of our life. 
God is providing intimate care every second of it all. Now, because of that, because of God's knowledge of David, because of God's presence everywhere at all times, through every circumstance, because of God's faithful care, David has the courage to pray a very dangerous prayer. And that's what we want to look at in verses 23 and 24. David says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay, God, I trust you. Give it to me straight. Tell me the truth. There are four requests, four specific requests that are made in this prayer. Search my heart. Reveal my fears. Uncover my sin. And lead me to a better way. And each one of these is scary in their own way. And I want to talk about each of them independently. The first one, search my heart. The word heart... um, is an important word in the Bible. Uh, it appears over 800 times. Um, it is used in the Bible much the same way that we use it. It is heart kind of represents the center, the convergence of our of our will, our emotions, our passion, our love, our identity. It's kind of where all of those things sort of converge. That's that's our heart. Proverbs sp- speaks of the heart as this precious thing that needs to be guarded. In Proverbs four. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So our heart is like the wellspring of our life and our our passions and our actions. Like everything that we do sort of flows from this heart, which makes it precious and worthy of care, which means we shouldn't be reckless with our heart. But, you know, that's why we have to be careful in who we give our heart to and who, you know, what things we give our heart to, because it is precious and and is worthy of care. But Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, gives a very different uh, view of the heart. In Jeremiah 17, he says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So not only is the heart precious and worthy of care. It is also untrustworthy. Yes, it needs to be guarded. It needs to be tied to a chair and guarded. Because if, we're, if it is allowed to roam free, it's going to bonk us over the head and lead us astray. <coughs> Excuse me. That's why, by the way, the Bible never, even though, the, even though our heart is precious, the Bible never tells us to simply follow our heart. Even though it sounds good in a movie and it looks great on Instagram, It's foolish advice because our heart is deceitful and it will lead us astray. Our heart, (coughs) our heart wants for us to feel good and to feel good about ourselves. So it will make excuses for us. It will make, it'll make us believe um, lies about ourselves that our actions are justified that our anger is justified, that our indifference toward others is justified, that the hurt that we've caused others is minimal or maybe even justified, that our feelings of superiority are justified. 
If there is any thought that that takes us off the hook and makes us feel good about ourselves and that we are in the right, our heart is all in on that thought. And it is deceitful. And it will convince us that those thoughts are true, that we are right, and everyone else is wrong. Question, why would, why would David <clears throat> make the request for God to search him and know his heart in verse 23 when he says this in verse 1, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me? Hasn't God already done this? Yes. But the request that David makes in verse 23 is not for God's benefit. It's for David's benefit. David is not saying, God, I give you permission to search me and know me because he's already made clear that God already knows. David is asking God to reveal something to himself so that he can see something that he might be that he might be blinded to. And the, the reason this is a dangerous prayer is because when we pray it, it's possible that God is going to reveal something to us is, that is not that pretty. And might be contrary to the lies that our heart has been telling us. Because our heart tells us things like, oh, I don't have a problem. Oh, I'm better than most. It's okay so long as nobody gets hurt. I deserve this. God might reveal some truths that are contrary to those lies. And when he does, he's not being cruel. It is an opportunity uh, for us to draw closer to him. And as we yield toward him, as we yield to him, um, he transforms us and makes us more like his son. But David says, I, I can't trust my heart. Search me. Know my heart. Tell me where I need to fix it. The second request, reveal my fears. David says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. What are the things that I am afraid of? What are the things that are sort of bubbling up those emotions within me? I think that most of us or many of us, we would have things that we could list off that maybe make our heart rate go a little bit faster, maybe make us sweat a little bit, make us feel a little bit anxious. It could be clowns. Um, it could be uh, spiders or heights or um, public speaking, what I'm attempting to do right now. Um, for me, in all honesty, one of the things that I have, one of the fears that I have sort of wrestled with my entire life, and it may seem really odd to some of you, is that I've always been afraid of very large bodies of water, like um, lakes and oceans um, I am, I'm usually okay getting on a boat. I don't love it, but I can get onto a boat. I do not want to get into the water. Um, and the thought of scuba diving, um, I, I seriously don't understand why people would want to do something so crazy. Like, that is completely unnatural. We are not supposed to be down there. Um, but I have, so I think that a lot of us would have... You know, something that would cause us to feel anxious. I mean, just the thought of scuba it makes me sweat. Just like thinking about that. Um, but a lot of us might have like those types of fears. And those are legitimate fears, obviously. But those are probably not the big fears that are actually, you know, changing our behavior and, and, and molding our thoughts. 
I am convinced that without God revealing this to us, or maybe without a lot of work on ourselves or some good conversation with, with friends or a counselor or something like that, many of us will never come to an understanding of what our fears actually are. It's sort of like... Um, it's sort of like if a couple goes, is fighting and they go to see a counselor. And I have to be careful here. I'm not a counselor. I've done some pastoral counseling back in the day. I haven't in a long time. But I have done enough to know that the issue is rarely the issue. What couples fight over is rarely the reason that they're fighting. So you can have a couple that is um, having some financial conflict. And uh, one of them is a saver and one is a spender, which is super common. Um, But then after a few questions, you can find out that the saver sees their bank account as sort of this this thing that can help provide safety and security and order in a chaotic world. But the spender um, grew up in a context and spent much of their life in a context where they were never given much freedom. And so spending gives them a sense of autonomy. So one person is saving because of a fear of being out of control. And the other person is spending out of a fear of being controlled. It's sort of about money. It's mostly about control, right? I have a hunch that that's probably something like that's going on with my fear of the ocean. Um, Because when I when I muster up the courage to like jump in off the boat, you know, and, and, and I'm in the water, the thing that's in my head that I can't get out of my head is just how big the Atlantic is or how big the Gulf is. And the fact that I can't see the bottom and the fact that I am completely, you know, at the mercy of these waves and whatever monsters are like swimming under my feet. And it makes me feel inadequate and helpless and small. And I hate it. I just hate it. I think a counselor would probably say, yeah, it's probably a little bit about water. It might be more about a fear of feeling inadequate. Which that's definitely a thing for me. And that shows up in my life. It definitely shows up in my relationship with God as I keep finding myself trying to like earn my keep and demonstrate that I am adequate and and prove things to God. And that is not good. The reason that it's important or helpful to come to grips and, and confront your fears and to know what those fears are is because what we fear most is where we are trusting God the least. So David says, I trust you, God. I believe that you that you know me, that you love me, you care for me. Give it to me straight. What am I really afraid of? And what does it look like to trust you with that? Search my heart. Reveal my fears. And then he says, uncover my sins. Tell me. See if there is any offensive way in me. Remember, this is not so that, you know, God could learn something about David. This is so that David can learn something about David, because this is really easy to see in other people. And it is really difficult to see in us and ourselves. It's easy to see that other people are being unreasonable. Other people are gossips. Other people are greedy. Other people are 
are, are judgmental. And we say that with a straight face as we're passing judgment on their judgmentalism, you know. It is easy to see in others. It is difficult to see in ourselves. And so, and so David says, okay, give it to me straight. The word the Bible uses to describe anything in our life that doesn't align with God's character is sin. And one of the things that's been surprising to me over the decades um, that I have endeavored to, to, to follow God, to follow Jesus with my life, I place my trust in my trust in God and what Jesus has done for me and I endeavor to follow him with my life. And one of the surprising things about my Christian life is that my own understanding of my own sin can change over time. I think for many of us early in our Christian walk, our understanding of what it means to be aligned with God or what it means to be out of alignment and with our sin, like our understanding of those things can tip, can, can often be pretty surfacey. When I was 17 years old, I, um, that was a pivotal time in my life, and I made a decision that I'm going to follow God as, with my whole life, my whole heart. It was a, it was a very important time in my life, and I, I knew clearly at that time in my life what that meant. It meant reading my Bible every day, breaking up with my girlfriend, getting involved with a youth group so I could make some Christian friends, and stop cussing. That was about it. Like, in all honesty, I was good on just about everything else. The surprising thing about, you know, the, my, the, my journey since then and, and following God is that it hasn't felt like I thought it was going to feel like. I thought that as I got better, I would feel like I was getting better. And, you know, certainly God has done some amazing things in my life. And there have been things that have come up in my life that by his power I've been able to overcome and move beyond. And he has brought transformation in my life. But nevertheless, it seems like every time I crest a new hill, there is something bigger and deeper and darker in my life that I need to confront. And now it's not just about actions and habits. It's about attitudes and motivations like selfishness and pride. Or it's sins of omission, like lack of love, lack of compassion, lack of generosity, lack of humility. It seems like the things I was dealing with when I was 17 are easy (laughs) compared to these. But it's really tempting. It's really tempting to kind of turn a blind eye to ourselves and say, well, I'm better than most. I'm fine. And David says, no, I'm not going to do that. Tell me, God, give it to me straight. I don't want to hear this, but I need to hear this. I trust you. What do you see in my life that is not? What do you see in my life that is offensive to you? And let me just say, as just as a little bit of an aside, when we are confronted with something in our life that is displeasing to God, some some type of sin in our life, the biblical prescription for that is confession. We confess to God and we confess to each other. We confess to God for forgiveness. We confess to each other for healing. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we, confess, if we confess our sins, he, meaning God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is for forgiveness. But then James tells us in James 5, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
So the Bible tells us to confess. We confess to God so we can receive forgiveness. We confess to each other so we can receive compassion and help and encouragement. That's what the Bible prescribes. Okay, back to Psalm 139. If we make this request, God, uncover my sin. And God lays something upon our heart that needs to be confessed. That will lead to um, a closer dependency upon him and and a greater awareness of our need for others. Because we might find ourselves saying something like, I have an addiction. And I can't beat this on my own. I need God's power and I need his presence in my life every day. And I need some people in my life who know me, who trust, who I trust, who could pray for me and encourage me if I'm going to, if I'm going to move beyond this. Or, or I have a pride problem. I need the power of God to lovingly and gently humble me and teach me what it means to depend upon him. Or I have a lust problem that is completely out of control. And I need for God's power to transform my mind and purify my heart. And I need some people around me who, who, can, who can walk with me through this. Whatever God reveals to us points directly to our need for Jesus and our need for other people. It is not cruel for God to bring us to a sense of conviction over things that are killing us or killing our relationships or damaging our ability to be a part of God's mission in this world, or damaging our reputation. It is by His grace that He brings healing where healing is needed. And then the last thing David requests is lead me. If we have the courage to to make those first three requests, search my heart, Reveal my fears, uncover my sin. It puts us in a very uncomfortable position because we are not only confronted with something about ourselves that we might not want to admit, but the ball is also now in our court. And we may not know know what to do with that ball, you know. So God has, you know, searched my heart and revealed something that is not so pretty. Now, what do I do with that? Or. Okay, so God has revealed something, an area where I'm I'm not trusting in in God, partly because of this deep fear that I have. Well, well, now what? Or, okay, okay, so God has unveiled this, or, or, or revealed, uncovered this area in my life that is displeasing to Him. And I have this picture of, of what He wants me, like who He has called me to be, and I don't know how to get from here to there. Well, I'm going to say something that is... Not going to sound all that encouraging, uh, but it needs to be said. And that is, God is probably not going to just change us. That's not how this works. He's probably not going to take our fears away. He's probably not going to take away our sinful desires. He's not going to change our habits. He's not going to do all of the hard work for us. What he will do is he will encourage us and he will empower us and he will attend us and he will lead us and show us what the next right step is. But the way that this works is that when he reveals to us what the what the right step is, we actually have to take that step. 
I think we all know what it feels like to be prompted to engage in some act of like tangible love and care for someone else. And then we talk ourselves out of it or feel prompted to give toward the church or give toward some need um, in, in the in the community. Um, and then we talk ourselves out of it. Or, or prompted because you're heartbroken over some issue or some area of need in our community and you feel prompted that I, I want to engage, maybe give us of my talents or give of my, my time and volunteer and, and I would love to be part of the solution of this and then we talk ourselves out of it. God doesn't just change us. He empowers us. He strengthens us. He walks with us and he leads us and he tells us what the next what the, what the right next step is. And he says, okay, this is your first step. I'll tell you what step two is once you're ready. But if we say no to step one, we kind of get stalled out, don't we? When we ask God to lead us, that means when, um, when God leads us to understanding, to the understanding that we need community and we need to be part of a small group. It means that we actually do it. And if that small group falls apart and it doesn't work, then we get into another small group because God has led us to the understanding that this is what we need. Or when God leads us to the understanding that we need to loosen our grip on our resources and be generous, not just not simply because because it honors God or because it uh, it engages in in God's mission, but also it it confronts our deep fears that's causing us to grip so tightly in the first place. When when, if God leads us to that, then we do it and we give. Or if God leads us to 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 the understanding that we have a lack of compassion, maybe for for some people in our community or for or for a neighbor, he might also prompt us with some you know idea for tangible love and care that we might extend. When we when we pray and ask God to lead us, it means that when he prompts us to do it, we actually have to do it. That is how transformation works. He leads us one step. At a time. Search my heart. Reveal my fears. Uncover my sin. And lead me to the way everlasting. Lead me to a better path. I'm going to um, challenge us, all of us, each one of us, to pray that prayer every day this next week. And it will take some courage to do so. Um, but just remember, God knows you better than you know yourself. He is present everywhere, every time, through every circumstances. He has been faithful and, and intimate in his care. We can trust him with, these, with this prayer. He has our best in mind, he's not going to lead us astray. And we're going to start. Um, we're going to start right now um, at each of our campuses. We're going to end our service by celebrating communion together. And communion um, is a remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done for us in his death and resurrection. And um, 
And it is also a great time for us to reflect on these things and talk to God about these things, reflect on our life. And so I'm going to ask the band if they would kind of get in position so they can lead us here in just a minute. The bread represents Christ's body broken for us. The juice represents his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. And so when we... um, And at any time, let me just say, at any time during this next song, we're not going to sort of all take it together. At any time during this next song, when you feel um, ready, you can participate and you can partake in communion whenever you want. When we do, when we follow David's path here, or his example, and we think about what we know to be true about God, the knowledge he has of us, his presence that he has offered at all places, at all times, in all circumstances, his loving and faithful care that he has shown to us. We can now add to it, now that we're on this side of the cross, we can add to that by taking communion what we know to be true and what Jesus did for us at the cross in dying and coming and and raising again to life so that we might have forgiveness of sins. God doesn't just know us and love us and care for us. He has done all that a good God could do To provide for our deepest needs. We can trust him. This is a scary prayer. We can trust him with it. He will not lead us astray. So as we partake in communion, I'm going to ask that you have the courage to pray that prayer. And that you talk to God. And then every day this week, let's pray this prayer and let's see, let's see what God does. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, this, this is a scary prayer, um, but we trust you and we know that you love us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for all that you have done for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.